Hey, I'm glad you're here. I mean, I know some of you are visiting for the first time. I'm glad you decided to join us for this Easter Sunday. It's not real complicated what we do at our church. We try to keep it real simple uh, and stick to what the Bible says. And at the beginning of, well, before we do sermons, uh, is just raise your hand if you want to borrow a Bible. So just raise your hand high. Several people raise their hands and just borrow Bibles. And you can follow along with us in the morning. And when you're done with the Bible, you can just leave it on the pew. Uh, in fact, if you don't have a Bible, you can just take it home with you. And that is your new Bible to read throughout the week. Well, you know, as Christians throughout the world, uh, for us today, especially, we are celebrating uh, Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Good Friday remembered his death, and what I want to do this morning is keep the two together of his death and his resurrection. When you think about his life, and you think about his death, and you think about his resurrection, that is what constitutes what we call the good news of Christianity, the gospel, the good news of Christianity. You kind of kind of wonder, why is it good news? Why is it good news that he died? Why is it good news that he came back to life? Why is it good news for those of you who have believed in Jesus? And why is it good news for those of you who have yet to believe in Jesus? Well, let me just kind of put it to you real simple. I'm not going to complicate things at all today. I'm just going to put up kind of my thesis statement of how this is the good news of Christianity. It goes like this. A holy God declares sinners accepted by him through faith in Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected. I'm going to to state that again. It's really simple. A holy God declares sinners accepted by him through faith in Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected. Now, for those of you who like pictures, I've I've brought pictures with me today. Let me put up a picture. This is a picture I saw back in 1995. Uh, when I was reading a book about putting amazing back into grace. Now, this picture might not make any sense to you right now, but I'm going to hopefully explain it throughout the day on how a holy God can view sinners as righteous through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So throughout uh, our time here this morning, I'm going to elaborate on this idea, this concept, why we call it the good news of the gospel of Christianity. And for this morning, we are going to look at the book of Romans. So if you want to turn your Bible to the book of Romans, I don't know if you, if you can't find it, look on someone next to you, look in the table of contents, we're going to be in the book of Romans this morning. This is a book that was written by one of Jesus' followers. His name was Paul. He was a leader in the early church, and he wrote to the believers in Rome. He hasn't met them yet, but nonetheless, they're on the same page with regard to the gospel with the good news of Christianity. And and Paul is so gripped by the gospel. If you want to know a a gospel-centered book here, uh, a man who is gripped by Jesus, read the book of Romans. But for our time here this morning, we can't look at all that. So we're just going to look at the thesis statement of Romans, the main point, the summary of Romans in verses 16 and 17. So if you wouldn't mind standing, why don't you go ahead and stand, and I'll just read this together. It's really short and quick. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live 
by faith. You may be seated. We're going to break this thesis statement down into kind of just a four-part statement that all begin with the word for, at least the first three do. So I'm just threw a fourth one on there for fun. But if you look at the very first portion, like for I'm not ashamed or for is the power of God for salvation or for in it the righteousness of God. And at the end, we're going to talk about faith. I kind of just break this thesis statement down into four parts. So let's go ahead and jump right in with the first part in verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul is writing to a people who are living in the heart of the Roman Empire And here they have great power and prestige all around them. But at this point in history, the Christians have none of it. They are on the outside looking in. You know, there's some time later where they will have, the Christians will have the power and prestige. But at this moment, they don't. And so they are living uh, as the powerless in the great Roman Empire. And the message that they are proclaiming is that a holy God will declare sinners accepted by him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Romans around them have got to be saying, you guys are a joke. You're proclaiming Jesus? You mean that guy back in Palestine that um, was this poor teacher, insurrectionist, carpenter of sorts that we killed for being a criminal? You're proclaiming him as one who has been crucified for our sins and resurrected, you guys must be idiots. You're idiots. We're not going to believe that. You should be ashamed even talking about such a thing. And I mean, that's kind of sometimes how we might feel uh, as believers in, in our culture. We're just a bunch of idiots. I know we, we you know, we have a, we're in a culture that is very uh, intellectual, uh, a culture that has a, a way of navigating life, and some people may have that way all figured out in some type of tight philosophical system that helps them navigate life, and some may just have a system in mind that's going to help them proceed through life on some common practicalities. And here the Christian is supposed to step up with boldness and proclaim Jesus, Jesus who was crucified and resurrected, and we're supposed to do it in a way where we are not ashamed of the gospel. There was an instance, the Apostle Paul was one time in this place called Athens. And as he was in Athens, he went to this certain place where all the ideas were being presented on how to navigate life. And rather than being ashamed of the crucified and resurrected Christ, Paul proclaimed Jesus. Let me just put this up for you. This is Acts 17, starting in verse 30. Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, here's the the mixed response to his message. Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul's preaching crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and some are like, you've got to be kidding. They're making fun of him. They're mocking him. But while he's doing this, there are some people who are actually being converted and saved. And that is why Paul's saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because the gospel, the good news of Christianity, actually has power to convert people and to save people. 
He says this, and look, if you look at verse 16 again, let me pop this up for you again. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and resurrection, he's saying there is power that converts people and there is power that actually saves people. And that's why he's not ashamed of the gospel. And that's why we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel actually has power to save people. Now, I think back to the days when I did, was not a Christian. I think back to the days when I was not a follower of Christ. I was not saved. I had this certain philosophy to navigate my life that um, was pretty simple. At least I thought it was pretty simple. It was a, a philosophy to navigate my life apart from God. It involved tennis, money, and sex. That was my life. That's what characterized my life. My life was all about playing tennis every single day in order to get a scholarship into college. And so I got my scholarship into college. And while I was at college, my, my goal was, okay, I, gotta, you know, I didn't have any money. Like you know, most of you are broke in college, right? But you think that you're going to make the dough one day, right? And so you have a certain major, had a certain major in college where I was hoping to go and make the dough later. And mixed in with all that was just sexual morality. And I had a good freshman year pursuing all my goals. I was not depressed. I was pretty popular on campus. I was not making bad grades. I was not going out getting drunk. I was not doing drugs. And I was pretty much just enjoying myself. So I finished up my freshman year, and then I go away to this camp. I'm going to coach some type of tennis, right? And I go away to this camp, and I hear the gospel. And this is what happened. I did not, I didn't search for this, seek for this or anything. The power of God came into my life with great deep conviction over my sin. I caused great sorrow within me and I repented and I put my faith in Jesus when I heard that Jesus Christ died in my place on the cross and he rose again so that I can be accepted by the Father. I didn't plan on that. My life was good. I had things working good in order. I mean, I did not plan on following Christ. I did not plan on, on getting saved. But the power of God came into my life. And it's amazing how you can just get up for Easter and it, it, you know, get dressed up nice and, and come to church and just mind in your own business and you have a plan to navigate your life. You have no plan to follow Christ and you're here this morning just minding your own business. But you never know. The power of God, He's going to save who He's going to save and He's going to infiltrate some of your lives and save you. It's the power of the gospel. And, and the gospel not only converts people, but the gospel actually has power to save people. We believe that only Jesus saves. He's the only one that actually has power to save. And since he has power to save, we're not ashamed. We're not embarrassed. We're like, you can try all that other stuff, but when it's all said and done, only Jesus is going to save you. Period. Only Jesus will save. And for those of you who have Christian friends and you maybe you listen to Christian preaching occasionally or come to church, you, you almost want to raise your hand and you say, excuse me, 
Saved from what? What are you talking about? You Christians are always talking about saved and salvation. It's like you're out there drowning or something. You need someone to save you. What's, what's your deal? What do we mean when Christians say we need to be saved or you need to be saved? What do we mean by that? Power of God for salvation. What are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say. I mean, for example... Christians talk about, and the Bible talks about, we need to be saved from our sins, right? We talk about things like, we need to be saved from Satan. We need to be saved from death. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our empty way of life. We need to be saved from all these messed up relationships that we have. So there's a lot of different realms we can talk about being saved. But I'm going to tell you, and unless I'm totally off on this, I think the Bible fully backs this one up. I think the main thing we need to be saved from, ready for this one? We need to be saved from God. Yeeks. Jesus saves us from the Father's wrath. The Bible actually talks like that. That's what we need to be saved from is from God and his wrath. I mean, if you look at verse 18, if we were going to keep reading through Romans, just look at verse 18. We read 16 and 17, but verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're all in that. All people are considered sinners and unrighteous before God. Every single person. On Wednesday night, we're having dinner with my family. We're just sitting around. I'm just sitting next. I sit next to my four-year-old boy. We have a signed seating. When you have a family of, how many do I got my family? Of seven. We have a family of seven. You've got to have a signed seating. You cannot have people messing around each night fighting over chairs. So my four-year-old sits right next to me. I'm minding my own business eating. And just out of the blue, he asked the question. I mean, I have no idea why he asked this. He asked the question, am I bad? Well, that's a good question. And I know so many of you love my f- little four-year-old Roman. He's so cute. You've you got to love him, right? But being a good father, I said to him, yeah, you're bad. <laughs> I mean, come on. We give him plenty of affirmation, all right? We're not messing with his self-esteem. I want him to have a right assessment of himself growing up. Yeah, you're bad. But then I said, I'm, I'm bad too. We're all bad. We all go against God. We all fight against him. It just happens. We're just born into it. And his wrath is against us. And his wrath will remain against us unless there is a rescue, unless we're saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Well, Paul continues. He's not done yet. This is where it gets really good. So he's not ashamed because the gospel has power. And then it gets really good. Look at this. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. 
boy, talking about something huge that the book of Romans elaborates on is this concept of the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Please stick with me because, I mean, this is like big deal here. Two, two concepts going on here with the righteousness of God, okay? I'm going to explain the first and then really hammer the second. For starters, God is holy. God is righteous. You, he is, the Bible, he, he's just completely without moral flaw. He's perfect in all his character. And here's the reality. So he creates uh, humans, Adam and Eve, and they're created in, in, this, in his image of righteousness, and they're without sin. And so, but instead of wanting to imitate God, they pretty much wanted to be him. And so they fall into sin, and this now we're sinful humans before a holy God, and we can't be in his presence because he is holy. And so the question is, okay, God, how are you going to demonstrate your righteousness? How are we going to know that you're righteous and you just don't let sin slide? How are we going to know that you're perfectly holy? How are we going to do that? Well, he could actually come down and say, to hell with you all. You totally messed it up. To hell with you all. I'm just going to send you all to hell, forget you, rebelling against me, spitting in my face, give me the finger, to hell with you all. But in love, he sends his son, the perfect substitute who never sinned, the perfect substitute who died on the cross in our place, and he pours out the full extent of his wrath on his son. So we see that God does punish sin. He is righteous. He is holy. And he does punish sin on his son, Jesus. So when we talk about the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, right there we see his display, right? We see his character of righteousness. Now that's the first concept there. But here's the second, and I would say here is the overriding concept here of righteousness of God. And this is the one you may have never heard in your entire life because some of you have grown up in churches where they just make you do, do, do if you want to get into heaven. I don't care if they are Protestant or Catholic churches because some of you have grown up in Protestant churches that preach a gospel of you better do enough stuff to get in. And for those of you growing up in Catholic churches, maybe the message you heard is you better do all these steps if you want to make sure you get in. So this may be totally new to a lot of you, this concept of righteous God. So stick with me here. So here it is. The righteousness of God, this concept is that he will make this declaration, he'll make this statement that you are accepted by him through faith in Jesus. So let's say you go to, you're in a court of law, right? You know, many of you have been to court. In a court of law, if you are guilty, the judge will say, you're condemned, you're guilty. But if you've done the right thing, the judge will say, I declare that you did the right thing and I'm going to let you off. Good job. You didn't do anything wrong. You, I declare you're right. Doesn't work like that in God's court. Because before God, we're all guilty. There'll be none of these good works that we can do to make ourselves right before God where he declares us right. So in God's court, we're only declared right, in right standing with him, through faith in Jesus Christ. So, 
I want to go back to my image again. Let's put this picture back up again. So we have the guilty sinner. We have the righteousness of Christ in his death and resurrection, and we have God's view. Now get this. When we become Christians, do we all of a sudden not sin anymore? Who doesn't sin anymore? Yeah, exactly. Nobody. So we're still, in a sense, we're, we're sinners. But because of the righteousness of Christ, through faith in Jesus, God views us as righteous. He views us as men and women who have obeyed the law perfectly. He views us as men and women who have not sinned. You want to think about grace? That is grace right there where God, in his view, he makes this legal declaration that you are righteous in his eyes. You are totally and completely accepted by him through faith in his son, Jesus, who is the righteous one for you in your place. That's God's view. So the only way that you'll be accepted is for him to view you with his righteousness. Now, I don't think you're getting it yet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to hit it another way. I, I just, I think this is so important. When we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, we are not viewed righteous in his presence just because our sins are forgiven. If we have our sins forgiven in the cross of Christ, that takes us to a spot of moral neutrality. We're not just morally neutral before the Father with our sins forgiven. We also have perfect righteousness where we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So, yes, it is just, we, it's like we are, have our sins forgiven, but we also have the positive righteousness of Christ. I'm going to show you something. You think things like this are just for kids, but, you know, I think adults can learn as well. Check this out. This is a nasty glass of water. I put all types of gross stuff in it just for fun. Represents sin. This is your life. This is your life before God. This is God's view of you before salvation. So on the cross, Jesus is bearing your sin. It's poured out. Let's get rid of the sin. Let's say that your sins are forgiven. Let's get all the junk out of there. In fact, let's try to clean it out as best as we can with this rag. Get those sins out of there. Get out sins. All right, get out. Yeah, get them all out. Okay. Now, the question is, how many of you say, in the cross of Christ, your sins are forgiven? Yes, right? Your, your sins are forgiven. But that's not it. That's that, that, that moral neutrality I was talking about. You need righteousness to be accepted by the Father. So, here comes along the righteousness of Christ. Perfect Perfect God, perfect God. Pour it in here. In the presence of God, in the view of God, you're now clean. Not just forgiven, but viewed morally righteous before the Father. As if you totally obeyed the law. As if you never sinned. You are accepted in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By faith. Wait, some of you don't believe it, right? <laughs> this is way too good news to be good news. It's like, it's almost like you, you want to say, you shouldn't tell people that until right before they're going to die. 
Like, don't tell people that it's just through faith in Jesus where you'll be forgiven and felt righteous. Because if they find that out right now, then they're just going to live a life that's a mess. No, no, no. When you start experiencing grace where you're forgiven and totally righteous, that's the only gospel we know. There is no other good news. And you know what's so good? That means some of you who are just as messed up as I was, who come in here just as sinful as I was, which we all are, you can be accepted right now and declared forgiven and righteous through faith in Jesus. You don't don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to go to any class. You don't have to do anything but put your faith in Jesus and you're forgiven and declared righteous in God's sight. That is good news. But you want to say, well, hold on. Uh, Where do good works come into this? Uh, Where does uh, fruit come into this? Well, that's what we talked about last week, right? For those of us who have been declared righteous for God, we're changed inwardly, and we're going to produce these good works. We're going to produce fruit. So if you have been declared righteous by God, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you produce good fruit. But what is is starting to happen is a lot of people want to talk about the good fruit or Jesus' ethics or Jesus' good way of life and kind of downplay the, 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 the cross and downplay the resurrection. In fact, for those of you who read the, the Washington Post online, there was a, an article recently called Save Jesus, Ignore Easter. How about that? It's called Save Jesus, Ignore Easter. Now, what this, this, this person is arguing is that let's play down the death and resurrection. In fact, we can just ignore it if we want. And let's focus on his ethical teachings. Are you kidding me? We understand that it is because of his death and resurrection. It's because of our forgiveness. It's because we have a renovated heart that we can actually now obey Jesus' ethical teachings. You throw out the death and resurrection of Jesus, what what, what are we supposed to say? Just be a good person. Well, that doesn't go over so well, does it? We need a total transformation and that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus where we trust in him, and out of that comes good works. So that brings us to our last statement. Look at verse 17. For unto the righteous of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's all about faith. From beginning to end, from start to finish, from faith for faith. We start the Christian life by faith, And we continue the Christian life by faith in Christ. We start the Christian life by trusting that the Father is going to accept us through Christ. And we continue the Christian life believing that our Father has accepted us through the perfect death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was crucified on the cross for our sins and he was raised for our justification, which means that we are now declared righteous in God. Believe it, not just one time, but live in the gospel 365 days a year. The gospel should permeate every area of our lives. It has massive implications for what's going on. Everything. For those of you who think the Christian life is just about, well, I'm going to believe one time, I'm in, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. No, no, no. It's about, I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to repent of my sins today, and then I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And then I'm going to do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, because I'm going to live my life in the gospel. I'm going to live my life in the acceptance of my Father through Jesus, and I'm going to live out of that, that identity. This year, I'm going to turn 40. That is scary. 
Because when people come to this age, or so I read and so I see, they sometimes experience this midlife crisis. I've been feeling a little crisis recently. My wife told my kids, just ignore daddy for a while. But some people, when they, when they come to this midlife crisis, um, they start thinking about, you know, maybe it's time to get a, a career change or a job change or a spouse change or get my face kind of changed, you know, get some, some work done. Uh, so what's often in the mind of 40-year-olds, so I hear, I'll find out in a few months, is what they're trying to do, they're trying to validate their existence, it's almost like, will you please validate my existence? I mean, you want to be validated by your family. You want to be validated by your peers. Like, m- m- tell me that my life actually has value and worth, and I'm doing these things that validates my existence. Of course, that's making an idol of, of humans and their opinion. But we're Christians, right? We live in the gospel. And the gospel says that in Jesus, we're validated. In Jesus, we don't have to prove anything. In Jesus, we are completely accepted. So in the gospel, if I'm living by faith in Christ and my acceptance by the God of the universe, why do I care what you think? Why do I need your validation and approval? So as I approach 40, I mean, the gospel tells me I don't have to go through a crisis. I can rest in the gospel. And this whole concept of validation and wanting to find acceptance, it somehow starts when we're young. Um, Some of you are college students, and you know in college you're trying to find validation from others. And maybe it's your parents. You know, you want to work hard, and you want to prove something, so your parents will say, good job, I'm very proud of you. Your friends will say, you're amazing. And you even want to validate yourself to yourself. You want to prove something to yourself. And some of you living this way are totally stressed out. I mean, there's good stress and there's bad stress. And some of you are living in the bad stress of this self-striving to prove something to yourself. Isn't it amazing that some of you have even chosen to major in things that you hate? You hate your major. You ever met anybody that says, I just hate my major? You're like, why are you doing it? Well, it could be because you're striving in yourself. You're trying to prove something to somebody, your parents, yourself. You're like, come on, validate me. But in the gospel, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. On the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus proves it. He's perfect righteous. We look to him and we are accepted. And yeah, we can now work hard at whatever we're doing, but we can work hard to the glory of God, not the glory of, of men and women. We can work good to the glory of God. If I could convince myself and you to live in the gospel every day, to live in the death and resurrection and the acceptance of the Father every day, your life would be absolutely changed in all your relationships, especially, especially in marriage. For those of you who are married, I, I've not met anybody yet who says, you know, marriage is so easy. Maybe you've been married for like two weeks, all right? <laughs> you just wait, all right? There is going to be issues. Marriage is hard. Yeah? Amen. Amen? Nobody? All right. You're like, yeah, you're, you're sitting next to your spouse, and they're like, amen. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's, it's hard because you're like, you're, you know, you just, sometimes you just get an attitude in, in marriage. You're like, you know, you're not meeting my needs, or, you know, you're not really speaking my love language, or, you know, like, like, 
done. <laughs> it's like, come on, you're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not living up to my expectations of what I need to be married to you. And so you can have a lot of conflict in, in, that, in that mess. But the way to revolutionize a marriage is just when one of you, don't even need both of you, both would be great, but one of you to start living in the gospel. One of you that actually starts to believe that you're completely accepted by the Father. You're completely validated by Him. You've met all His expectations in Christ. And if you really start to believe that, God accepts you and He knows you still have shortcomings. God accepts you and He knows you still have issues. But if you can start living in the fact that He accepts you in Jesus, then you can start moving toward your spouse. And with all their issues and all their shortcomings, you say, you know what? I'm going to accept you completely. I know you still have issues, and we can talk about those. But I'm going to accept you completely as my Father accepts me. That is the gospel permeating every area of our life. Thinking about Good Friday and Easter has, has, has validity every day of our life. We can live in the acceptance of our Father. We can live in faith as the righteous ones. Now, It'd be interesting to interview every single one of you and find out your story. Find out what brings you here this morning, what's your backstory, what's all the conflicts and issues you've had. So I don't know where you're at. You may be a very religious person who is working really hard to try to impress God, try to save yourselves. And I just want to say, guess what? Today is a day that you can stand up and say, I quit. I give up. Because no matter how impressive you are, you're still a sinner who needs the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And how freeing would it be today for you to actually come to the Father and say, I give up. I quit. I want to put my faith in Christ and trust in His perfect work alone and not mine. And I know there are some of you here today, you're in the midst of doing absolutely terrible things. And what's so amazing about the terrible things that you're doing is that nobody else knows. They're like secrets. Well, God knows. And the good news of the gospel is that you can come today, right now, before God, and say, okay, God, I quit. I give up. I repent of my sins, and I'm going to trust and your finished work alone, and believe that right now, through Christ, you will view me righteous. And I know there are Christians in here who have drifted. I know there are Christians in here who you were walking once with Jesus, and you, you something happened. And you're hearing the gospel, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to get back on track with God. I'm going to make sure that I start going to church again. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do my devotionals. I'm going to become part of a small group. I'm going to start serving and helping the poor. I'm going to get back on track. And you think, once I do all those things, then God will accept me. That's not good news. That's not good news. The good news is, is you're accepted in Christ. Just like, God, I am sorry. I, I have I've blown it. Please forgive me. You're accepted. You can be accepted right now without any of the tricks. None of jumping through the hoops. You can be accepted right now through faith in Christ. And then out of that, you can do all that other stuff. I've been journaling recently. I, I, I journal all the time, but I've been, this is what I've been journaling recently. I've been writing the words, I give up. Like, I'm, I'm just tired. 
I'm just trying, I'm, I'm not, I'm just tired of trying to keep things going so that I can impress people, impress everybody, or make sure I'm holding my life together. And like, God, I'm just going to give up and rest in the gospel that you accept me, you love me through Jesus in his death and resurrection. And today, you can do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the good news is, in fact, good news. That you, a holy God, will declare us sinners accepted by you through faith in Jesus. We praise you that you were crucified for our sins and resurrected for our justification. And that right now you declare us righteous by faith. I just pray for everybody here, whatever's going on, that right now they would quit of their sinful striving and put their faith in Christ and rest in his record of righteousness, rest in his finished work and find life in Christ and actually experience the good news of Christianity, experience the good news of Good Friday and Easter and walk in it every day. We praise you, Father, for doing all the work in Christ. We praise you for accepting us fully. To you be the glory. In Christ's name.